Welcome to The Power of Digital Policy, a show that helps digital marketers, online communications directors, and others throughout the organization balance out risks and opportunities created by using digital channels. Here's your host, Christina Podner. Today's guest is Ashwin Krishnan, COO of Uber Knowledge, host of the Undercover Leaders podcast, a tech ethicist, writer, and speaker. Ashwin, welcome to the power of digital policy. So I'm excited to talk to you because um, everything and anything that I pick up these days in the news seems to be talking about smart cities. And I love the idea of smart cities versus dumb cities. But tell me beyond being a buzzword, what is a smart city? Yeah, so the way I look at a smart city is you look at the outcome, right? The outcome that you're trying to drive as a, a city mayor or a city council is really to enhance the live, uh, the the lives, uh, work experience, uh, even the play uh, experience for your citizens and your businesses. So that's the outcome that you want. Now, the way the smart city definition has evolved is uh, what does it entail? It entails uh, instant communications. It entails, yeah, another buzzword, IoT, Internet of Things, uh, which includes sensors and most importantly includes data. Uh, but none of this would really get anywhere unless you're able to um, take action on the data, be able to react, uh, predict, and then adapt accordingly, right? So I know it's, it's, a, it's a lot of things, but ultimately I think the outcome is where we should start off, which is really to um, enhance the, the citizens and enhance the businesses' uh, experience in the city. So that's a great definition. And when I kind of think about that definition, I kind of wonder if there's a shift in that definition, sort of a pre-COVID versus post-COVID time, if you will. So are we really talking about smart villages instead of smart cities here? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good point. In fact, uh, one of, uh, one of uh, our common friends, Anthony, was talking about the exact same thing uh, when this hit New York. He was talking about uh, an extended... Uh, uh, relation of his was talking about how they had about 20, 25 people just essentially do what you said, which is decide to leave a high rise and go into the uh, wilderness. So uh, again, you look at it and say from, uh, as long as you kind of agree on the definition, which is okay, regardless of where you are, um, the definition of smart everything is to make your your life, your work, your business more effective. So if you talk about people going into suburban neighborhoods or even into the hinterland, if you will, the question is, how does that, how does it result in a positive work-life experience? So for instance, you and I are talking over Zoom right now. So we assume internet is a given. We assume we have reasonable bandwidth. We assume that it gets recorded in the cloud or in a computer. So I think the definition of regardless of where you are, uh, your life and work experience needs to get enhanced. Now, clearly, if you're talking about a less populated neighborhood and people have, let's say, large swaths of land, then you're talking about ensuring that if you have cattle on the farm or if you if you just have um, the need to have uh, security cameras all over and be able to get alerted if you have an intruder in your, in your 10-acre uh, land, that's very, very different than ensuring that the traffic signals are coordinated so that you and I are not stuck at a traffic light for 90 seconds, even though there's no traffic in the other direction, right? So I think, yes, I think the the uh, the need for the technology and the need for data collection and the need for being acting on the data 
will remain the same, but the outcome desired would be radically different. Now, now clearly from a business perspective, if you were to take somebody like uh, Google and what they did with uh, Toronto with the Quayside project, that got a lot of attention because they were able to get a lot of uh, um, uh, right or wrong. I mean, it, it obviously had a lot of transparency and data privacy issues tied along with that. But for them, that was a, a, a kind of a cornerstone project because there were lots of people highly dense, uh, densely populated, and so you can get a lot of information. So now you look at it and say, if you're talking about people moving into uh, into the uh, into rural neighborhoods, it's uh, what sorts of data collection is possible, and how long does it take to actually make uh, a meaningful data model to make predictions, right? So I think that'll be a big question in my mind, at least, as we kind of if, if you start kind of going to going into less populated neighborhoods in terms of uh, what is the efficacy of uh, of a smart village. And so you just brought up uh, something that's, I think, of interest to both of us here, which is data tracking and collection and the balancing between that and privacy. And so maybe the rate of tracking, collecting data is a little bit slower in rural areas versus highly uh, populated areas. But at the end of the day, I think we still have that same equation, right, between data collection, management, uh, its use and privacy. How, how do you see that getting accomplished, you know, out there right now? Like, what are the trends that you're seeing? I think we were on the right path, right? With GDPR uh, being in uh, effect since for a year and a half right now, CCPA going to effect uh, in, in California, the Illinois Biometric uh, Acts and so forth. Uh, now, what they were trying to do at least, right, in the spirit of things is to ensure that there is more transparency. Uh, businesses are accountable. Uh, there is obviously um, responsibility from a legal standpoint. So obviously they, they want to make sure that they're doing the right thing from a, from a business continuity perspective. But I think we were still, I'd say, years away from really making this a true customer experience. So I'll give you an example. I mean, CCPA, uh, being in California, this was heralded to be a big thing, which it, it is, but I think it's really not a consumer privacy act because the consumer has no idea what he or she is supposed to do. And you and I talked about this. This is one of the largest uh, gym chains. At that point, it was growing like crazy. Now, obviously, it's <laughs> it's shuttered. But uh, regardless, they they had this this 18-page uh, disclosure as, as part of CCPA compliance. And in one of those tables, they had actually called out the fact that they take videos and photos of their members. Um, they actually give it out to third parties. And, and so you kind of look at it and say, uh, yes, you're following the letter of the law by making the data available to consumers, but how many, what percentage of your uh, of your gym population members would actually even go through page 18 of the table, much less understand what it, what it uh, means, or even click on the link which says, hey, by the way, we are not CCPA compliant. If you're interested, go here. No one goes there, right? So in, in some sense, I think that that continues to be a big problem. In the quote unquote new normal, we're going to go back to the way things were, or are we going to see that this is leading to free high-speed access for all? And then again, you know, kind of back to this point of like, well, who's in charge of privacy and security and who ought to be in charge of privacy and security? So you know, as we kind of think about these smart cities, as we think about the infrastructure, whether it's for COVID, post-COVID, you know, should we have somebody who is centrally looking at the privacy and security issue and being sort of a steward for that? Um, and, you know, what, what would that even look like? 
like to focus this on the consumer, you and I, and everybody else, right? It's like, okay, we, we take internet for granted. Um, I go to the Cupertino uh, library every now and then, and I like to work from there, but I have a VPN client with me every single time. So I think there are two, two aspects to this. One is I think there needs to be more consumer awareness in terms of hey, knowing what is a secure Wi-Fi location versus what is not. Um, and going to a Starbucks or going to San Francisco right now and using super spots or, or heading to your gym and, and between workouts, you, you start working, literally working um, uh, on your project. Um, those are very, very different experiences. So the question to ask yourself is, yes, you are utilizing it as you would for your other utilities like electricity, power, um, um, water, et cetera. But the, the question is, these are, this is very, very different, right? And as we talked about earlier, uh, there is going to be more surveillance. Your data is going to be intercepted. End-to-end encryption will be a myth and continues to be a myth. <laughs> There's somebody who has the key and somebody who can uh, tap into your uh, stream of uh, traffic. So I think end of the day, all you can do is be aware of what's going on. And and I mean, the VPN is, has been around for, I don't know, 25, 30 years, right? And yet you look at people who go to these Starbucks and just fire up their laptops and Chromebooks and connect as if, hey, the world is not watching, the world is watching. So, so I think uh, the first question to ask ourselves is, yes, uh, is ubiquitous internet access everywhere going to become a, a uh, citizen's right? Probably yes, and you'll see more and more of that. But also uh, the other uh, angle to this, like I said, is ownership from an end user's perspective in terms of understanding contextual, right? And, and I don't even mean that uh, uh, TMI or too much information overload that people are grappling with, and therefore you need to be contextually aware and know when to fire up a VPN. No, I mean, all of these VPN technologies, one that I use, um, you can you can set up trusted Wi-Fi hotspots and everything else is untrusted. The moment you hit an untrusted location, it fires up the VPN and off you go. Um, so that's just one example of how you need to take ownership. I think the other aspect of this, and I was talking to a, a guest of mine uh, last week on, on the Uber Knowledge podcast, and he was saying that uh, they are retooling their Wi-Fi's at the workplace right now, since nobody's there, to make it look like Starbucks, right? And he says, which means um, everything is zero trust. You come into that, you get free Wi-Fi access, you get access to a printer, and that's it, right? So there is no nothing in the physical corporate location that's going to look any different than your home or any different than a coffee shop, right? And so that's the so they're redefining zero trust everywhere. And, and he says that that is going to be rolled out uh, through the entire organization. So people are constantly aware of the fact that, hey, just just you connect into a network and we give you free Wi-Fi access, but just imagine that you're sitting in Starbucks and so the same principles uh, need to be applied. So I think we'll see a shift, uh, but I think increasingly, uh, I, I do believe that the end users need to take a little bit more responsibility and, and contextual awareness of where they are and what they're doing. Does that automatically imply that businesses can shrug some of that responsibility off? Great question. Um, so I think it, it comes back to the culture and comes back to how you're treating. So if you, if you look at it and say, okay, I'm going to treat my employees, I'm going to treat my customers, and I'm going to give them uh, visibility into what's going on. So let, let's dig a little bit deeper into that, right? Let's let's say you go into work and you get free Wi-Fi access and the company has told you, hey, you know what? You need to have your VPN on all the time. You need to have 2FA. 
um, and so assume that. But if the business, um, without telling their employees, who uh, they are also actually um, tracking your uh, your activities, right? Like, okay, when you enter the office, uh, how long? Uh, in fact, Zoom has this thing. I didn't even realize this. <laughs> like, uh, let's say you and I are talking on a, on, a, on a video call, and I switch screens. I'm looking at something else. Zoom knows that, and you can actually get alerted. Uh, the host can get alerted, saying, hey, "You know what? You have a guest who's absconding." <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, so the question really is. You you can't have it both ways. So businesses can't tell their employees saying, you know what, treat us just like any other Starbucks location, any other coffee location or whatever you have, uh, or your local library, while uh, having full visibility and tracking and um, following the digital trail that their employees leave behind regardless of where they go, right? So I, so I think transparency is key over here, which is um, you need to tell them that, hey, by the way, yes, you're in the office location and you'll be giving you free Wi-Fi, but in exchange for that, you are an employee and we have full rights to actually do complete tracking and, and you, know, you don't get any kind of uh, waiver from, from that perspective. So, so that's one aspect of it, right? So, so, as, so the other piece of it is data collection, which is, again, like we talked about, uh, somebody coming to the office, how long they're there, when do they leave, when do they check out for lunch? Uh, in fact, I think NVIDIA... Uh, has this uh, notion where they, they actually track you from building to building and how long you actually go for lunch and come back and all that. And a part of it is just to drive efficiency so they can actually um, make, make the cafeteria more efficient and going back to the whole smart city, smart cafeteria, right? But um, that is data that is being collected on the employees. Now, how is the data going to be used? Is it anonymized? Uh, is it does it continue to be there after the employee resigns and leaves the company? And those are all questions that I think no businesses, no business can shrug. And to your early point in terms of who actually needs to be responsible for this, right? That, that's a difficult question because it really depends on the business. So I think it, it starts with the, uh, with the CEO and the board. Um, right now with COVID-19 hitting, um, clearly, I mean, everything is getting upended. So, it's it's a great time to actually look at it and say, in fact, um, I was reading this morning, completely blew my mind that there is actually technology that exists, right? And this is technology that uh, I believe is is there on GitHub right now, which can actually allow you to deep everything, right? So deep fake everything. There's an open source <laughs> program that can deep fake who you are. If, if Christina decides that, hey, she wants Beyonce to be, the, the avatar of you on a Zoom call, you can actually do it in real time. Want to know more about digital policy and how to minimize risk and maximize opportunity for your organization? Get the Power of Digital Policy book available on Amazon. Are we seeing more and more technology and how do we deal with the trust factor? And if we are kind of going to that trust factor, factor model. Is it the role of the citizen really to kind of stand up and own that? Is it the government that needs to actually be involved? Is it the private sector? Is it some crazy combination? What are we looking at, you know, and how do we kind of leap forward together into this? Or is it just sort of like trial and error, you think? And I don't believe I'm saying this, but uh, it is going to be true that we are going to have more of these hub economies, Google, Apple's, uh, Facebook, Microsoft, that we will inherently need to trust more and more. Why? Because they have the data set. Um, and, and, a, and a city, even the one that I live in, Cupertino, which is Apple's headquarters, 
despite having um, a, a highly tech population, good dollars coming in from at least pre-COVID from, from businesses, um, it still relies a lot on the technology um, that the private sector is offering it, right? Or Google in Mountain View does the same thing in the city of Mountain View. So I think it's it's going to be difficult if we only have to rely on the consumer's uh, awareness uh, and or the city to be able to put these things in place. And particularly now, right? Um, you look at, let's say, fast forward 60, 90 days, 120 days, city revenue, city coffers are going down the wayside. Uh, tax dollars are down. So ultimately, um, the impact that a city can have in these kinds of initiatives is going to be somewhat muted, right? Let alone the lack of skill set and awareness and, and digital privacy gurus that will actually want to join a city and, and make a difference. Now, this was different pre-COVID, right? There were a lot of smart city initiatives that were being led um, very, very effectively. But now with these tax dollars in play, you kind of look at it and say, what's on the chopping block, right? Do, do we cut electricity? Do we cut water? Do we cut the housing projects or do we cut smart city projects? So, so I think uh, this is going to be one, one big question now. So from a, from a, uh, like who is in charge and who's going to help drive this and how does it kind of help the average citizen be, uh, be more aware of what's going on? I think the private sector will have a much, much bigger role going forward. Now that does come with um, issues, no doubt, but I think, uh, and again, may maybe I'm being idealistic over here. I don't know, but I think uh, coming out of this, this pandemic, I think the, there's going to be a reset in moral values uh, for the good from a business perspective, as well as a, a citizen perspective, right. Or a, or a consumer's perspective. And I think uh, maybe, right. And I'm being, again, maybe too idealistic uh, to uh, glass half full kind of person over here, but, but I think uh, maybe we start seeing a reset in terms of uh, what some of these hub economies think and will do going forward. Uh, but also, I think the awareness factor of whether it's Apple and Google right now teaming up to uh, to track uh, COVID-19 connectivity um, or other kinds of initiatives, I think those will be um, the, the need for quite a bit of time, especially, like I said, given their um, ability to collect data, to be able to act on the data, to be able to predict the data, uh, uh, predictions going forward, and using that for good. Now. Can it quickly turn south where you have another Cambridge Analytica or you have some other kind of snafu? Probably, but I think this the the scars that this pandemic is going to leave is going to be with us for a long time. So hopefully that that serves us as a reminder to kind of uh, keep keep to what's what's good for a considerable period of time. Again, I might be dreaming over here, but that's my hope. There's a sweet spot between smart anything and privacy and security. Do you have a personal hero that you would nominate to help us define what that sweet spot is? And you can self-nominate if you would like to, but who do you think and who do you hold in high esteem that you would point to today and say, look, this is the person of our time who I think has the capacity to get this done and to help us identify that sweet spot? Wow, that, that's a that's a loaded one. <laughs> Wait, I asked you a question that you have to think about. <laughs> uh, now I'm looking. I'm trying to look for examples of people that have stayed consistent, right, over the many years. Um, now, 
Brenna, think. I, I think so. Let, let's talk about Apple as a company, right? As a company, I think they have maintained their vision of what it is that they will and will not do. Um, and I think uh, this starts with Tim Cook, and I think he's he's been phenomenal in terms of being able to drive that. Um, the other hub economy that I have enormous respect for is uh, Microsoft under Satya Nadella. Um, and so you look at all the way down from Satya down to the to the president to people like Diana Kelly, their cybersecurity uh, evangelist out in the field. I think there's a cultural awakening that has happened in that company um, over the over the course of Satya's tenure over there. So so there's there's that piece over there. Um, then I think there are companies that are wanting to do the right thing. I don't remember off the top of my head, Evernote's CEO, but uh, I mean, I I trust Evernote more than ever before because I think about six months ago, I was doing some digging around the privacy practices and it was so evident that the company lives and breathes this. They say, you own your data, we secure your data and you can take your data and walk away wherever you want, right? Uh, And it it takes less than 13, 15 seconds to kind of look at those three. And you can expand each one of those three bullets and it will actually tell you what it is that Evernote is doing to protect your data, um, what what data ownership really means for you, and what is is, how do you uh, transfer data out at any point in time. So so I think there are are a few examples where you feel that if, if this is what Evernote is putting out there, um, for everybody to see, if I'm an Evernote employee, I know now what the company stands for. So whether it's whether I'm software testing, whether I'm business development, marketing, sales, it doesn't matter. That's how I'm going to lead my conversations or my software development or testing. So, so I think um, there are there are examples of of companies out there, and some some have have lived through this and have kind of given uh, gone through a rebirth like like Microsoft. Others like Evernote have have. Uh, been this way from from day one uh, since evolution, um, and then there are uh, companies in Europe, thanks to GDPR and activism over there, that that by definition are doing the right thing. Um, I've given this example before, uh, Lufthansa, of of all the companies out there that I think I learned um, how to explain website cookies better than anything that I've ever seen, thanks to going to Lufthansa website. Right, it's very Obvious, they have a pop-up that says, hey, um, for statistics, for personalized or customized, these are three levels, right? If it's statistics, then we're not going to collect your information, your browser information, your history, your language preference, um, et cetera, et cetera. And as you go down, you're you're giving up more information, but in exchange for that, next time you come visit our website, we know exactly uh, your 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 typical uh, takeoff point and where you want to land and so forth because we've stored cookies. So uh, I think... Companies like that are not just embracing the need to um, kind of follow the letter of the law. They're also going one step forward and saying, okay, if I just tell you, hey, we have this uh, ugly pop-up and talking about website cookies so that I'm being compliant versus let me actually explain in layman's terms how this is going to impact you and and you sell it, uh, what it is that you want to offer us in exchange for uh, either a, a, a completely non-personalized experience or a highly personalized experience that next time you come back. 
right there, you just made my heart go pitter patter. Great, uh, great examples of companies with good digital policies and getting it right with a user, which, which is simply amazing sometimes because um, it can be a really, really high bar to reach and not everybody does it. So Ashwin, thanks for joining us today. Really insightful, really appreciate it. Hopefully you'll come back again and be a guest sometime because I think uh, so much more to unpack here, not just around smart cities and uh, maybe smart hubs and economic hubs, but also what's happening out there in the future once we all get out of this quarantine. So thanks for your time and hopefully we'll see you again on the other side of this. Thank you for joining the Power of Digital Policy. To sign up for our newsletter, get access to policy checklists, detailed information on policies, and other helpful resources, head over to thepowerofdigitalpolicy.com. If you get a moment, please leave a review on iTunes to help your digital colleagues find out about the podcast.